the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dottie Herman, and welcome to I in Real Estate. As you know, real estate is in everyone's mind. Everyone talks about it. Everyone wants to know about it. It doesn't matter where you live, what country you live in. I call it the universal language. So good morning, and welcome to We Have a Great Show. This is AM 970, The Answer, and iHeartRadio. You can get it on the app if you happen to miss some of it. And don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Dottie Herman. I love hearing from you. And you can get more news and other exciting information in some of my newsletters. If you have any questions, we love hearing from you. So you can call us at 866-970-9622. Of course, my co-host for the first hour is our show's recent legal expert and the best real estate attorney I know, Stephen Ebert, ever, I always say that wrong, a partner at the prestigious firm Kasson & Kasson, located in Westchester, and he's going to fill us in on the latest legal developments in business. Today at 11, we'll be joined by Lucas Condom from the hit TV series Insane Pools, off the deep end. If you have any questions about Insane Pool or do you want to have an Insane Pool put in, okay, Lucas is here. And then we have a friend of mine who's not to do a lot with real estate, but um, she's worked really hard. She started to write my book, which will come out in February. But uh, she uh, has done, she's a co-author of more than 60 books, and she's just done a documentary and um, on anxiety. And she's going to tell you a little about it. It's going to be on Netflix and all over, and we all have anxiety. So she'll come on in the second half. Um just to be current, and I like to always tell you what's going on current. Uh, before I begin the show, I have not given you the reports for the Hamptons. A lot of you are out in the Hamptons looking for rentals or you might be looking to buy. And uh, the prices are very high still at the very high end, but it happens to be slow. Uh, Hamptons show uh, record lows as far as the number of sales. Possibly because of the no inventory. Um, but, you know, if you're out there and you're a, a serious buyer or renter, because a lot of people, if they have a good tenant, rent to the same people every year. Let's face it, if you rent a home in the Hamptons or the North Fork, or anywhere for that matter, and you have a good tenant, you don't want to lose them. So some of them are already just listed every year with the same people that buy that rent them. 
Uh, but listings still remain well below the pandemic. Uh, so there's not that many. It climbed a little bit, uh, but not much. The average sales price, though, rose to higher, the highest on record. So obviously there's no inventory. And when there's no inventory and there's people, there's more buyers, that's what you get. Um, so if you're serious about doing that, I kind of would tell you some good advice. You can go now or you can kind of wait till uh, June-ish. And, you know, some people if they didn't rent then might give you a better deal. Um, but sales in the Hamptons fell to the lowest in 14 years. And that is not because of the economy. I think it's because of higher interest rates. But even more so, there's not much inventory. So if you're serious, you got to really look. Long Island, which I haven't given you for a long time, there's, the prices on Long Island have seemed to peak. Uh, listing inventory is higher annually, but still uh, the lowest level in 20 years. So when you have no inventory, then, you know, you if you're a buyer and you're serious, you've got to really be out there and on top of it. Um, in the luxury market, there's been a lot of bidding wars. Uh before I have Stephen, I have uh, some things to tell you, though. Uh, there's a lot of things going on, and Manhattan may get its first casino. Uh, and there's a proposal out there. Uh, there's always opponents, two and four, but it might get its, uh, uh, you know, S.L. Green is proposing that. Um, I don't know, Vernado suspended dividend payouts to 223 to 2023. And that's the largest publicly traded REIT in the country and one of New York City's biggest office landlords. But, Stephen, you know, with the commercial, um, from what, you know, from the big commercial brokers I know, they're telling me that uh, the only sector in Manhattan that's doing pretty okay is industrial. Are you finding that with your clients? You know, Dottie, it's a great question, and good morning, everybody. You know, Vernado is a well-known and respected uh, REIT, but it's it's definitely running into some tough times. So uh, I'm not surprised that they suspended their dividend, as I'm sure they want to keep some liquidity. And, you know, it's interesting, only a year or so ago, they were going to be the lead for that redevelopment around the Penn Station area. Um you know, when it comes to how commercial is doing in general, I, I think we got to be very careful when we get amalgamated or homogenized statistics, because what we're finding is strong pockets and weak pockets. Right. And if you average them out, it's sort of like getting a warm salad and a cold soup, right? It, it's not exactly great. So what happens is you're finding in certain areas for retail, you're finding certain areas very busy and certain areas quiet. When it comes to offices, look at one Vanderbilt right by Grand Central. Very high-end, beautiful new building, doing very well. And you have certain maybe office buildings that maybe don't have the right kind of footprint, the right layout, maybe needs upgrades, doesn't quite have the amenities, having some challenges. So what I would say is you've got to look very closely at the statistics because if you average them, I, I think we're not going to see the exact right message there. 
Well, that's true. You know, they're just numbers, and when they put up the the median price, you know, it doesn't really go by areas. Um, but let me ask you something. You know, I mean, I think Manhattan is about maybe five, six percent off from where it was. I mean, the prices are still high, and I think last week we talked about that Manhattan still has the highest rents in the country. So, you know, somebody's buying there, but. Co-ops and condos fell to the lowest level in two years during the first three months of this year. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think it's just kind of a, a thing. But I think that mostly, I, I have been in Florida for about a month. And I see what they're doing in Miami. And what they're doing is, let's say it's an old office building. Instead of trying to refurb it and do all that stuff, they're just knocking it down and build a new one. Because I think to your point, what people like, you know, the, 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 the modern and the new things are selling. And if you have something that's a little bit more obsolete or it's not a, you know, th- those are probably having a tougher time. And I guess office space also. No? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great point. I mean, you know, you got you to gotta weigh the economics, right? The cost of knocking down versus rebuilding. Obviously, the costs in real estate are, are very, very local. And the one thing I will say, we're, You know, I don't want to overly generalize, but probably in New York, because the cost of real estate historically has been so much, you you know, knocking down a building in Miami and building a new one may allow you to build taller, right? While in New York, the height may be already in place. Um, But I I think what's happening is you're seeing buildings put in amenities, right? The, The Empire State Building about a month ago announced that they're setting aside about 65,000 square feet um, for amenities. They're actually going to be putting in a pickleball court and some other things inside the Empire State Building. Yeah, yeah. So, and look, the building's like about 2.1, maybe 2.2 million square feet, the whole building. So 65,000 square feet, which is a lot of space, um, still, it's not a huge percentage of the building. But, you know, all these buildings are looking to reposition. And I think, Dottie, we're going to start seeing more and more as part of the trends as to an adjustment. I mean, we're not where we want to be, but I think you're going to start seeing a trend of more and more people coming back to the office. We're, we're, we're seeing those elements. Um, I think it's part of companies right-sizing. I think, unfortunately, you know, there'll, there'll be some layoffs that, that are forthcoming. And as part of that, what you're seeing is companies may be taking a smaller footprint, but taking a higher quality office experience. And so that people will be in there. And, and that, that's a trend that we're seeing. Well, you know what I really believe, Stephen? I believe New York needs a better PR person. Not that they should, uh, you know, not that they shouldn't give accurate, you know, information, but they seem to focus on a lot of negative stuff, and they don't talk about all the great things about New York City. And I can tell you how many people, of course, during the pandemic, because we got hit so hard, a lot of people left or went to the Hamptons or wherever they went. But people miss New York, and New Yorkers want to come back because there is no place like New York City. Um, so they have some, some you know, difficulties. But I was very disturbed in hearing this, and maybe you could tell us all about it, but the FHA rule forcing home buyers, and I, and I heard that it goes effect, into effect May 1st. Um, 
that homebuyers that have good credit are to pay higher mortgage rates and fees to subsidize people with risky credit. Um, and we, I kind of think that's a little unfair, but the policy goes into effect May 1st, and um, it's all private banks across the country. And, you know, it, it will, home buyers can expect an additional $40 per month for a loan of $400,000 if you have good credit. Now, they're trying to, you know, there's a petition out, but I think it's a done deal. What do you think about that? I think I think it's absurd, Dottie, and this comes from, you know, this would be a great example of, of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it's all very well and good to make things more affordable, but not not the way they're looking at doing, in my opinion. Now, now let me just be clear to everybody what this relates to. For your average homeowner that's just getting a quote-unquote regular conforming conventional loan at the bank putting down at least 20 percent this regulatory change is not going to impact you the people that this impacts are people getting what's called an fha loan and what happens is there's a federal agency that plays a role in trying to help expand home ownership and dotty when we not only talk about fairness, which we're going to get to in a second on this policy change, I also want to point about a little bit of common sense because here what's happening. You go and get an FHA loan because they provide insurance to lenders if you put down less than 20% equity. A lot of these loans are people who are only putting down 3.5% and getting 96.5% financing. And this is common in some areas for a house. You're not going to really see this in the co-op world, but you will see this in certain areas for a house. So here's what is very concerning, Dottie, is you're already having somebody who doesn't necessarily have the same level of reserves, a lower down payment, and is using this program to buy their primary residence. And it serves a purpose, right? We're in a higher cost housing area. Some people can afford the monthlies, but they don't have the money saved up. So this really helps people. But right. if you have somebody with less money saved up and they have that lower credit score, the idea is that people who have good credit but who just had difficulty saving, they have to pay out more money for somebody who not only didn't save for the low down payment but also had bad credit. And that's not only a fairness issue – for the other folks who saved up because the people who need this program are not the wealthiest people in society because they don't have the savings. So they're the ones paying for it. And on top of their subsizing the people who are, are bigger risk. I mean, Dottie, you know, it's a concern systematically when somebody both doesn't have the savings and doesn't have a great credit score. And, and so I'm really I know, concerned and I, two routes. I, you know, and I just, for those who don't know, um, uh, you know, if you're looking to buy a home and you want to go with the FHA, which is federally insured, you can put 3% down, 5% down. And a lot of very creditworthy people who have great credit, both people are working, but it's hard to save that down payment up. So, you know, I just think it's so unfair to penalize people who have good credit. I think it's fine to help people who you know, need a little help, but 
I don't think it's fair to take that money and say to the people that have good credit, well, you have good credit, so we're going to charge you more to subsidize the people that don't. And then I read that, you know, the FHA is saying, oh, no, we didn't do it for that reason. We just did it. It's just a rate hike, which I don't particularly, my opinion, just my opinion, I don't believe. I think that's why they did it. But, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's kind of totally unfair. I, I don't believe the explanation either. And Dottie, on top of that, what they're effectively doing is having people who have worked hard and good credit but just couldn't save enough, so they're paying. And then, but Dottie, keep in mind, this is a government agency. So ultimately, what I'm concerned about is that it may affect default rates. And by the way, when borrowers under an FHA loan default – Guess who's holding part of that bag, Dottie, the taxpayers. So, you know, it's, it's something, you know, there's always a fine balance when it comes to housing. On the one hand, it's a public accommodation. You know, the American dream is to own your own home. And if we have smart policies to help grow that, that's a wonderful thing. And I support that. But I'm also very concerned is that we've gotten it wrong many times in the past, right? Remember 2008 and 2009? Of course. Subprime lending. And when the government basically pushed on banks and said, you're not lending enough, you're being too too, um, critical and, and, and looking too closely on people's credit, well, guess what? Those people couldn't pay, and that led to a huge financial recession. What gets me nervous is when they overtip the scales on the policy of wanting to have more home ownership to not making smart credit decisions. And as much as I want to have more and more home ownership in society, you need to make sure you have borrowers who are responsible and ready to be a homeowner. True. But but saying that, of course, being responsible and ready, but saying that, if you do want to somehow subsidize or give these people a break, okay, and you you know, and they don't have the you don't take it from people that have good credit and that have paid their bills on time and give them a, you know penalize them. So I just think that sometimes some of these people I won't you know I don't say all, but some of these people either they never had a job or they really haven't thought things through because that to me just does, you know, just to me is crazy. I just think, you know, that, that, that's kind of a crazy thing. And, you know, as you said, it's not going to affect the average person that's, you know, doing a traditional loan, but it's, you know, a lot of people take FHA and truthfully, you know, if you don't have, you know, it's hard to save money today, especially if you have one income. You know, when I was a kid, everybody had one income. A lot of the, the wives didn't work. Usually now there's a family that has two incomes, and it's still hard. So I guess that's in, in place already, so there's not, nothing you can do. I think we're having a break. But um, I'd like to come back and continue. And I have a question for you, and uh, these are people that wrote in, and they wanted to know because we talked about co-ops, what's included in a deal sheet and how do they, what should they do to get a, their board package right? Because that's foreign to most people who don't live in New York City. 
And I know people can go to you for that. And that's why you really need a real estate attorney who knows what they're doing, and especially when you have to do a board package. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ion Real Estate. I'm Dottie Herman with Stephen Ebert. We'll be right back. Are you planning an event or celebration? While there are many options for catering, there's no one else that does it like DR Catering. With your dream in their hands, DR Catering can provide event decorations, entertainment options, and equipment rentals. From your menu to your decor, DR Catering takes your concept and makes it a reality, ensuring your guests leave feeling happy and satisfied. Led by a master chef from the prestigious Culinary Institute of America, it's a no-brainer. People trust DR with their special events from weddings birthdays and anniversaries to corporate events holiday parties graduations and everything in between 201-673-7380 to inquire or email dominic at d rizzo at drcatering.com 201-673-7380 or email d rizzo at drcatering.com dr catering more than just caterers 201-673-7380 mike lindell and my pillow are launching the new my pillow 2.0 with a special buy one get one free offer the my pillow 2.0 offers a brand new temperature regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night the new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a, a cooler surface temperature my pillow knows core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep the new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep machine washable and dryable with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee and made in the usa just go to the radio listeners page at mypillow.com use the promo code am970 or call 800-651-0798-800-651-0798 don't miss this incredible opportunity to buy one get one free on the new mypillow 2.0 800-651-0798 feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates if you run or manage a local business today you're challenged like never before we get it and we want to help we're salem surround and when it comes to marketing consider us your personal move you forward company in a recent study we found that 53 percent of local businesses were classified as novices when it came to designing implementing and managing their marketing needs and that's where salem surround truly shines we're a full service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day night and everywhere they might be let us give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and what your competition is doing our digital sales and support teams are the best in the industry and deliver customized personal service that's second to none if you're a local business and ready for the next step google salem surround new york right now our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Google Salem Surround New York today. AM 970 The Answer is bringing Dr. Lederman's expertise in alternative cancer treatments to prime time every Monday night at 7. Dr. Lederman is triple board certified in radiation oncology, medical oncology, and internal medicine and is the first physician to perform non-invasive body radiosurgery in the Western Hemisphere. On an outpatient basis, no hospitals, no cutting, no bleeding. Radiosurgery takes minutes, is painless, non-invasive, and usually very well tolerated. Join Dr. Lederman Monday night at 7 on AM 970 The Answer. Cable news. Noisy, out of touch, on repeat. Tired of all the lookalikes? So are we. Salem News Channel is here to change the game. 
Streaming 24-7, free on your TV, with the greatest collection of conservative voices. Home to Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Like you, we say what's wrong and what's right. Unfiltered and unapologetic. Salem News Channel. We're the answer to the mainstream media. Learn more at snc.tv. Listen to AM 970 The Answer on Alexa. Tune in, iHeart, or odyssey.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and I'm here with my co-host for the first hour, Stevie Everett. And we're talking about buying and the selling process and what's going on in the city. And um, when, when someone's looking to purchase, well, first of all, last week we talked a little about co-ops and condos, and obviously we could talk for hours about that. But, Stephen, this is just an opinion. Um, maybe you can tell everyone the difference. And do you think that there's a preference to one, you know, because – Usually there's not, there's not, they're not building any more co-ops that I know of. And the only place, like I lived on Long Island. So when I started to do real estate in Manhattan, I never dealt with these board packages. They were foreign to me. And I don't know that I could still, you know, do one. Could you explain the difference? And when you have to write a board package, I mean, how precise that has to be and why if you don't dot the I right, you might not get in. Absolutely. That's a great question, Dottie. You know, some people wonder, why does New York City have so many of these co-ops? And, wh- and why are they so different than condos? And are there some pros and cons? And, you know, Dottie, to take a quick step back, we have to look at history. And, you know, prior to the 1960s, condominiums didn't really exist in the United States. And actually, the first condos, if I recall correctly, were based out in Utah and before they spread around the country. But New York City was a leader in multifamily housing. So we had these apartment buildings years before. And so when co-ops were being formed, condominiums weren't an option because they didn't really exist. The other thing, Dottie, it gets to the history and the fabric of our city as to why these buildings were created. If you look back when co-ops were really being created, we had a lot of tenement rental housing. And as part of the movement towards middle class, um, these buildings were really converted over to create co-ops. So that way, instead of being tenants, people could have their share of the American dream and still live in the city. The other thing going on with that, Dottie, is that certain union movements um, actually gave money to help their workers go into these co-ops. And a big um, union behind this and leader was a gentleman named Albert Kazan from the Garment Workers Union. And what happened was they put money in. So what happened was these were designed to be primary residents, not investments like you see in condos. And you had this board application and approval because they wanted to make sure if they were going to use union money from their pension funds to invest in these buildings, they wanted to make sure the people who bought in were members in good standing. So, Dottie, this is where that whole interview process came from. Now, decades later, it's very, very different, right? They're not involved in the same way. It's housing really for across the whole city. So now that interview process has turned into, are the buyers financially responsible? Will they be good neighbors? Because in a co-op, generally speaking, 
the co-op housing corporation owns the land in the building and you're a shareholder in that and you have this proprietary lease that lets you use the apartment. And so what happens, Dottie, is they want to make sure that these shareholders coming in are financially stable and can make their payments. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, Dottie. Because the process is a little bit rigorous, and from people who buy outside of the New York area or outside the... Yeah, it's a little bit. I'm I'm being polite. It can be a very... It can be a lot. It can be a lot. Um, And... But I'll tell you, here's the great thing, Dottie. When, remember when we were talking in the, earlier in this show, you know, when we were talking about those FHA loans and about the financial crisis back in 08 and 09? Yes. Remember those times? And remember how there was a lot of foreclosures? Yes. I remember the following article that was in the New York Post. Okay, this is now going back 15 years ago. And I'll never forget it said, and remember, the population of Manhattan is about one and a half million people. Back then, there was about six times as many co-ops as there were condos in Manhattan. And it said the following, and I'm going to wait. To, I'm going to tell you the article, and then I'll tell you the substance. It said, co-op foreclosures increased four times in Manhattan. Back then, you'd say, oh, my gosh, what a disaster. And then you read the article. And, in, and it went from about 10 foreclosures to about 40 for the entire year in a population of 1.5 million. What does that mean, Dottie? What it means is that the co-op process, while rigorous, generally does a very good job of making sure that the buyers are qualified and they can afford the monthly payments. And that's why you rarely hear about foreclosure issues. Co-ops get their money to run things. So... That's the important trade-off. So that's where you see some differences when the economy changes. Well, then people will ask, I mean, because, again, if you're not from New York City and you're looking to buy, you know, what's the difference? Should I buy a condo? Should I buy a co-op? First of all, you know, if you don't ask, you won't even know which is which. But, you know, people ask, well... A condominium is better investments or co-ops better investments? And I'm not sure there's a real answer on that because obviously it depends on the price you get it for and the building. Um, but so, basically so the difference Here's a few more is, points. Yeah, you yeah, let me give a few more day. points to keep in mind on that. Sure. So the biggest divide is what you plan on using the property for. Do you plan on using it as an investor and being a landlord and you want to rent it out? Or do you plan on living there? If you're looking to be a landlord and rent out that apartment, you know, 99 out of 100 times you want to go with the condominium. They're a lot more flexible. They're much more investor-friendly. Co-ops are really designed as your primary or a second home. Very few are, are flexible with investors. So that's your big divide. The next thing is you do find that condos sell at a higher price per square foot than co-ops. And there's a few reasons for that. One of them, though, is that because condos are newer, and a lot of these newer condominiums have more amenities with them. Maybe they have a pool or a gym or other things built in with it that some of these older buildings don't have. So when you look at price per square foot, be very careful because what I would do is adjust it, not necessarily co-op versus condo, but I would adjust it for how modern is the building and what kind of amenities do you have with it? 
Um, and, and the last of the big ones, and Dottie, we can go on and on on this list, but I guess the last of the big ones, it, it falls down to the neighborhood, right? Certain neighborhoods, you can tell the eras in which most of the construction was built, and you're going to find more of a preponderance of co-ops or condos depending upon that time period. And so keep in mind, depending upon which neighborhood you're in, it's much more of a primary residence versus an investor neighborhood as well. Right. Well, so I would just say generally, you know, sometimes a, a, a co-op can be more affordable. Um, they were great, as you said, primary home, but um, I'll never forget when, I don't know how long ago it was, but a Madonna, if I remember that big case, was she had a co-op. I don't. I, I can't remember which co-op she had. It was in the sixties, seventies. Anyhow, I, I think it was. I think it was at the Dakota. Yes, it was at the Dakota, and she, you know, she's a famous and traveling, so she wanted to let one of her older children use the co-op. And uh, they said, no, I mean, there was a ruling. I mean, so you have to really use an attorney like Steve who knows and read the perspective. And, and that, and the Dakota didn't allow, you, uh, you could have a child there if you were, if you were there. But they, they didn't allow you to have, you know, your children there, even if they were adults, when you weren't living there. So she sued them or she fought them. And I, she lost, if I recall correctly. She, she did lose. And, and you know what, Daddy? That's a great transition point. If I can just mention for a second for both co-ops and condos a couple of key things, because a lot of times people get confused on who can live there, guest policy versus roommates. So let me just make a couple of very quick points. Very um, important. Number one, when you're buying a property, immediate family members can reside there with you. But here's the catch where you got to be careful. And this is the catch that Madonna and the trap Madonna went into. The cop can say, look, you can have your husband, your boyfriend, your kids, your stepkids, no problem. Your parents all live there with you, no problem. But you got to live there, right? If they can't block immediate family from living you, but the catch is that has to be your, your residence. And if it's not your residence, then they can block them out. And this becomes, Dottie, important for living and also for estate planning. Um, very, very important. I know we're coming up for a little bit of a break in a second, but I do want to also get to that this can even come up in condos too. And also some of this is where we have overlapping protections between building rules and city rules. So really important if you have roommates and guests, we should talk more about this after the break. We'll do that. We'll be right back. This is really important stuff to know, especially if you're buying in the city. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. You're listening to Iron Real Estate. I'm here with Stephen Edward. Okay, girls, ready to go? Yeah! Mom, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? Me too, Mommy. You want a snack? Yeah! Got it? Children learn from our behaviors. Mommy, can you open this, All right, please? hold on one second. Okay. Okay, here. Thank you. They learn what is okay from the adults they see. Mommy, are you on your phone? If you're a distracted driver, <laughs> chances are... 
they will be too. What kind of driver are you raising? Funded by the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee. Jackson. If you're a pastor or a church leader, I want to give you a personal invitation to join me at WMCA's Pastors Appreciation Breakfast. And it's a ministry exhibition on May the 11th. You know, the church has been in retreat since COVID. They closed us and said we were non-essential and we weren't sure how to respond. Well, I have a response now. Our culture will unravel without the strength and the truth that the church presents and provides. We've apologized long enough. It's time for us to stand up and stand together in saying Jesus is Lord. It'll make a difference in our homes, in our communities, in our cities, and ultimately in our nation. I'll see you soon. God bless you. The WMCA Pastors Appreciation Breakfast is free to all pastors, ministry leaders, and guests, but you must register now at WMCA.com. Enjoy great food, fellowship, worship from Christian Cultural Center, goodie bags, and keynote speaker, Alan Jackson. We'll see you there. Hi, it's Kevin McCullough. You hear me on this radio station, AM 970, The Answer, or AM 570 and 102.3 FM, The Mission, WMCA. Paul Jacobs is back with us from Food for the Poor. Thank you, Kevin. And we just got three anonymous gifts. We had an anonymous gift from New York saving a family with $144. Another gift from South Hackensack of $144. And this one just blesses me tremendously. A $2,000 gift from the Township of Washington. That's $14 families And they write anonymously, I was listening on the radio and it was making my heart break hearing the stories of need. God is just pressing upon your heart to do something. Whatever you give, that's between you and God. But know this is going to provide two meals a day for an entire year and save families' lives. Please act now. Here's the phone number, 855-919-4673, 855-919-4673, or go to the homepage of the website of this radio station. Take it from Charlie Kirk. As I read this New York Times article, so I read the New York Times so you don't have to, Salem Media Group reaches more people than they realize. This is my favorite line of the whole thing. Their hosts are big names, and they have huge reach, which makes them one of the most powerful forces in conservative media. Step into our big names to help grow your business. To find out more about it, reach out to our general sales manager, Laura Schaefer, by calling 212-857-9639. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Hi, folks. It's Arthur Idala of The Power Hour every night here on AM 970 at 6 p.m. We try to bring you a lot of fun, a lot of energy with a lot of facts, a lot of inside scoop from the courtroom and from the streets of the city of New York with our special guests and our regular co-hosts, Sam Bellino, Joni, Alex, and whoever happens to be walking around the office. Tune in weeknights at 6 p.m. Tweet us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We're everywhere. AM 970. TheAnswer.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and I'm here with Stephen Ebert, and we are talking about co-ops, condos, how to buy in the city, what the difference is, what the pros, what the cons are. So, Stephen, you were in the middle of talking about that, so you want to kind of... Yeah, absolutely, Dottie. You know, and what's so important is understanding who actually has the right to live there and what rights do you have. 
And sometimes buildings also overstep their bounds. So, you know, we understand that it's a high-cost market. And so sometimes you have different generations of a family, you know, buying a property to help out one member buy into a place. Uh, Also, sometimes for estate planning, maybe they have a sibling that, you know, is going to be living there also, but they're not necessarily an owner. And what rights do they have? Now, it's very important to understand the difference between a guest and a roommate and a sublet. And I want to stress these points. A guest is somebody who is visiting when the owner is there. So sometimes people say, oh, my building allows guests to stay for a week. I'm going to have somebody stay while I go on vacation. Now, a lot of buildings are very concerned, and that's not what a guest is, because maybe that person is there as an Airbnb. Maybe they don't know who it is, and they're worried about safety for the neighbors. They're worried about damage to the building. So be very careful that all of a sudden, if you have guests staying and you're not around, a building could block that. Now, let's take another... That's why I say you have to use a real estate attorney like yourself because really I don't know too many other parts of the country that really have, you know, these very, very strict co-op condo rules. And so you you kind of, like you said, if you're looking for investment property, I would definitely stay away from a co-op. Absolutely, Dottie. And I want to throw in two more situations just so people can get a sense of how why these rules go. Let's go the other way, for example, where I, let's say, let's say hypothetically, I owned a property and I wanted to have a roommate. And maybe they're a relative, maybe they're not. Maybe it's somebody who's a roommate. Maybe it's somebody who I'm in a relationship, right? Well, can the building stop me? The answer is no. Under New York City law, regardless of what rules the co-op or the condo has, you're allowed to have a roommate. And it's illegal for the building to get into your business to find out what the relationship is. Is it just a roommate? Are you dating, et cetera? You, you know, that they're not allowed to even ask. And you're allowed to have that roommate. So we've had, you know, clients where we've had to push back against co-ops and condos that overstep their bounds. Um, because there are certain New York City statutes which gives some additional rights back um, to homeowners. Now, the last one, Dottie, I want to throw out there, which can also throw people for a loop, is, and condos are not consistent, and I have a client right now, we're in the middle of just finding out this building's policy, I have a client right now who's from out of state who wants to buy a condo to have his two sons live there. They're just getting started out. And he's in a position to help them get a condo instead of paying rent to somebody else. Right. He would just put them in there. Now, here's the thing, Dottie. Is Even he going to own it? Which, is, is he going to own it or is he putting it under their names? In other words, it's under his name well, and he's... Well, that's exactly the question working out right now. Are we going to only have it in the father's name or are we going to have the sons listed as co-owners too? Because here's the crazy thing, Dottie. Some condos care and some don't, right? Some condos say, even if your family, if the owner doesn't live there, you're considered a tenant, and we expect you to have a lease. And by the way, we might charge you a sublet fee, and we might charge you a fee to approve that lease. And some condos don't care. So we're doing our due diligence right now. 
to find out, does this building care, does it not, to see what makes the most sense on the ownership structure. Because, Dottie, you have issues with the building, but maybe also have an issue of a gift or estate planning to keep in mind, too, when you have multiple owners. So it's interesting, right, something seemingly so simple. I'm just buying it so I can help out my own children, but yet you got to be very careful and make sure you navigate these rules because there are these little details and traps there for the unaware. And again, not all build, you know, buildings are the same as far as with a co-op, but you do have to go for an interview. And I remember when I first came to the city, and you know, I didn't, you know, I, I was from Long Island, so we didn't deal with that many co-ops. And if they did have some, they were just very lenient. Um, people would really have to prepare people to fill out that board application, which is really tedious. And you really should not try to, I, my opinion, I don't think you should try to fill it out yourself without either your attorney, who knows what they're doing with that, or the broker who's dealt with it. Because if you make one mistake on that, they could turn you down. And then I remember, and I remember we prepared Angelina Jolie to go for her interview at a co-op, okay? Now, you would think, Angelina Jolie, you're going to prepare that woman who's famous? Wouldn't they love to have her? Well, not always, because sometimes they don't want the publicity, and we kind of made her very low-key. She had a suit on, and we really prepped her for the interview. Um, And, you know, the good news is, as you said, um, you don't want to have a building where there's all transient people. Okay, because that's not healthy either. I think when you talk about, when you talked about, like, what is it, two, was it 2007, two, whatever we had that financial crisis. A lot of the yeah, buildings. Yeah, back in 2008. In, yeah. A lot of the buildings, I think, in Florida and some of the states where they're mostly investment people went under because uh, they just, you know, lost their down payment. They never even moved in. Um, so, you know, they're solid. And you, as you said, you have the good financing, more so, I think, in a co-op than a condo. And again, that's where you need a real estate attorney who knows co-ops and condos because every board is different. Some are tougher than others, but most of them do require an interview. And, of course, you have to think if you have pets. You know, some of them only allow certain size pets. Some don't allow pets. So there's a lot to know. And... Um, I think it's 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 cumbersome, and the application itself is uh, pretty bit. I don't lie on it, okay? Because if you, uh, it, it, it is a bit amount of work, and and, work. and and also, yeah. But but look, this is what you're paying for with your broker. I mean, this is why you know, and and Daddy, I always appreciate you know your focus on making sure that clients have the right kind of attorney, but also have the right kind of broker. Oh, absolutely. They're gonna. They're going to first take you to the right kind of building. They know the buildings. So they're going to say, look, this is, this makes sense. And also they're going to guide you through the application process. You know, Dottie, it's interesting. I, I remember I was on a transaction where a broker who was well-intentioned made a serious error that but for my intervention would have been a major lawsuit. What happened was they sent the board application to the client and the client, this gives you a sense of the era, filled it out by hand. And they said, don't worry, I'll type it up. And then it was typed up and it was signed and that was it. 
and it wasn't double-checked. And what happened was we got a very nasty board rejection. And not only did they say you're rejected, but don't even try to appeal. And it was very weird, Dottie, because rarely do you get sort of a nasty response. And, and, right. and that was really bizarre. Well, I looked into it, and then normally the lawyers, we don't look at the board applications, the brokers handle it. But then afterwards, I looked into it now that we had this issue. And it turned out that the broker made a transcription error. So the financials did not match the statements and so forth. And it made it look like their financials were more. And the board was offended and thought that they were trying to sneak something by them. Right. So you and have to we had very, to do a Yeah, you have to be careful. And you need to use a broker that has dealt with co-ops and condos. I think we have a, a caller on the line. Sure. Do we have a caller on the line, I think? Hello? Hello? Hello. Yeah, my name is Lewis. Hi, Lewis. Hello? Yes, oh, I hear you. Good morning, Dottie. Yeah, listen, here's the situation. Uh, uh, my my sister is the uh, is, is a buyer of the co-op, okay? She bought a co-op in uh, the Bronx, very fancy co-op, and uh, she had a domestic partner, and the domestic partner, as part of the domestic partnership, had to move in. Okay, right. it's, it's a requirement, domestic partnership. Okay, fine. So what happened is they lived together for many years, uh, six, seven years together, until last year when the uh, when my sister died. She died. She went to the hospital I'm and she was and all that. that was it. All right, so now the the domestic partner who the the, the, the complex said no problem. They could they could be there. You know they're not going to argue it. So the thing was when, after she died, the partner remained and has been there for almost almost a year. Now, when she died, the domestic partner took a will. She made a will. She made a will and brought it to the attorney who made the will. And the attorney accepted it and said, well, "Now we got to go through the surrogate court where it sits to this day. It's still in surrogate court." My, my question to you is very simple. If the matter is waiting a decision in the surrogate courts, I guess it's probate or something like that, what, what power does the co-op have, to, the, the co-op board or whatever, to try to extricate the person from the apartment or get back the apartment or, or close? Stephen? So, yeah, sure. So let me, so a few questions here. Number one, um, when when your sister took ownership, was she the sole owner of the co-op? Okay. So, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, our caller dropped. If you're able to call back and reconnect, that would be great. But let me at least answer this generally for everyone. So, number one, this is where ownership matters, right? And the only way to really be an owner is who's on the ownership documents, which in a co-op is the stock and the lease for a house or a condo, the deed. So number one is who's actually the owner of the apartment. And then number two, now that the sister is back. Passed, Wait, Stephen, I think he's, oh, he's back. back. Okay. We, yeah. Put him yeah, off, I'm here, please. I'm here. Can you yeah, hear me? Okay. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. She was the owner. So, she was the sole owner of the apartment. The shares were in her name. So it, okay. it was in the will. It, the apartment was in the will to be to be given to one of the heirs, and 
the thing is, now it's in and, the and lawyer if board. If I can interrupt for one second, please. Um, and who yeah. w- was it going to be? Her partner? Who would be the heir, or was it somebody else? Well, does it matter if that was the partner who was supposed to get the apartment after her death? Well, it can it can make a difference if it's the resident who's there, or if it's if it's a family member or someone else. What's do you know? It's, 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 it's the domestic partner. The domestic partner is the, is the inheritor, according to the will. But the will now, okay. the attorney brought the will into surrogate court, and there's no decision yet because they have to approve the will and, and tell the executor, you know, who, who is the lawyer, to do what he has to do. But no decisions come. What my question was originally was that what what is the power of the co-op itself, the entity, the co-op, the organization, against that person can they can they jump over the court and do what they want with the apartment or or close or what sure so generally so that it's a great question and so let me just explain it to everyone so what happens is normally if you buy an apartment um you have to get board approval and so what happens is in the bylaws and the proprietary lease of a co-op is you're going to see the rules of how the co-op operates and specifically in the proprietary lease, there should be a provision about what happens when somebody inherits. Usually what you're seeing, if it's a domestic partner or a spouse, that generally if they inherit it, it's just the co-op will update the stock and lease. Um, where sometimes buildings are different is if it's in children and the co-op will typically want to make sure, and this will vary building by building, that they're financially qualified. That's what usually what some buildings do. Some don't do anything at all. So I I would think what would have to happen is that the estate administration attorney needs to finish up with surrogate's court. Um, Is anybody challenging the will or nobody is challenging it? Um, Well, so the only thing that surprised me, if nobody's challenging the will, then uh, I'm surprised about a year and a half is a bit long. Um, if somebody's challenging it, then that's a different story. But assuming nobody's challenging, what would happen was um, they would have that court order to show that the will has been probated and from surrogate's court. And then what would happen is the partner, um, who is the heir, would present that to the co-op. And then what should happen is that the stock and lease be updated into the name of the partner, and they would become the new owner. That's what should happen. Well... You know, that's a lot of stuff to absorb, and that's very, it's complicated. So if there's anything I can again say to you, you use a broker that knows co-ops and condos in Manhattan, okay? Don't use somebody from some other place, and use a, a real estate attorney, and make sure that you read everything, because, and look long term, it may be what you want today, might not be what you want tomorrow, but that's very, very important. We'll be right back. I believe we have, my God, time really flies. It's 11 o'clock. We'll be back after the news. The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 